0: What is crack-a-lackin', Hardwood Knocks listeners? I am Damp Valley, coming at you without my fantastic host, Adam Bravo. Coming at you without anyone, in fact, this time. We have another podcast dropping this week uh, with Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes, where we're digging into our biggest off-season questions for the four teams that were eliminated in the semifinals. For now, I wanted to do our uh, draft lottery fallout pod. But before we get into all the fallout from how the lottery played out on Tuesday night... My usual housekeeping notes. Please, please, pretty please with Trigger on Top. Consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to Hardware Knox if you've not already done all those things. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. Download every episode. If this is your first time checking us out, consider throwing us that permanent subscription. Also, ratings and reviews help us all over the place. Spotify and iTunes, even if you don't use them, help us juice those numbers. Uh, if you have done all of those things, please consider recommending us to friends, family members, acquaintances, coworkers, random people on the internet who you know like basketball. Maybe help us by retweeting our promos on Twitter or helping us juice the algorithms in YouTube. Go to youtube.com, subscribe to Hardwood Knox, comment on our videos there. We do post exclusive um, content there and on IG and on TikTok. So follow us on all the socials, including Twitter, the handles and links to which are in the description. And finally, we have a Discord channel please hop in there. The link to that is in the podcast description as well. All that out of the way now, though, let's get to the lottery fallout. And I feel like it's just best to go through this team by team, all 14 teams that were impacted, or not 14 teams actually, but every team that was impacted by um, the lottery itself. The Orlando Magic going number one. They get the number one pick. Um, They do need sort of a transcendent tentpole talent in there. So it's it's great for them that they have that, and they potentially have two of these players now in Jalen Suggs and whomever they take at number one. Uh, I did catch shit from Orlando, Mag- a subsection of Orlando Magic Twitter this past week because it's something I wrote. I said that Jalen Suggs was the only person who should take a priority and impact your future plans. I don't view Wendell Carter Jr. in those terms. On a great contract, had a fantastic year, quality big man. I don't view Jonathan Isaac there at all. We need to see him play again, which hasn't happened since uh, the Disney bubble. Uh, I do not view Franz Wagner as that guy. He had a spectacular rookie season. He's going to be a very good player. I had some Orlando Magic fans trying to tell me that he is going to be a top 25 to 30 player in the NBA. I just don't believe that that's what his ceiling is going to peak as. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. He seems like he's going to just be a fantastic guy who maybe can be the third, fourth, fifth best player on a really good team, which is really hard to do, by the way. I don't view that as a 10-pole talent. I certainly don't view Mark Galfolz as a 10-pole talent. Uh, I was told by Orlando Magic fans that the organization does. That's fine. I disagree vehemently with them. There are going to be limitations on your offense. I don't care how much his mid-range game is improved. Uh, It is not elite. He's good at finishing around the rim. Doesn't get there a ton. We've only seen him play in a handful of games these past two years, so maybe that rim pressure will be there. The finishing certainly is. I'll give him that. His vision's pretty good, versatile on defense, but there's going to be limitations placed upon your offense for someone who is not a good jump shooter, just just period. And he's not, you know, his mid-range looks like there's stuff that he sometimes moses into. It's not someone who's creating these explosive looks off the dribble, not someone who's hitting threes right now, getting to the line of high clip. I think that that's just, uh, he's a good player. I don't think he's bad by any stretch. I don't view him as a 10-pole talent. This is all to say, uh, who the Orlando Magic take, I've seen... Uh, Jabari Smith mocked there a ton since the draft lottery. I've seen Chet Holmgren draft there a ton, and I've seen even a little bit of love for Paolo Banchero there. I don't know which one they should go with. I'd probably go with Chet Holmgren, just sort of looking at the front court talent they already have there. This isn't a fit need, but it feels like he is just the, the bigger swing of the three and also someone who might fit more easily with the talent they have. So it's not exclusively a fit that's there. If you really wanted to go with fit, I think you could probably make a case that Jabari Smith makes the most sense there. I just don't think you're at a point with any of your frontline talent where you should be drafting for fit exclusively. And so you use this pick, you use it on a big, that's pretty straightforward there for them. I am curious to see how this does impact what they do with the rest of their team. You have Mobamba entering restricted free agency. My guess is he's gone. You can still hold on to Wendell Carter Jr. His salary is he he's a starting caliber center in the NBA. And I don't think that he's, you know, his salary is like 14.2 million. It's about starting caliber. It's not too high. And you're also going to have this big coming in on a rookie scale deal. Whoever they draft, you can still hold on to him. If you want, I'd probably look at moving Jonathan Isaac. If there's any team that is really interested in him, assuming that he's going to be healthy after all these setbacks that he has, uh, we've reached a point where there are non guarantees kicking into his deal based off him failing to meet these playing time thresholds that were set. Uh, I think they have to be open to anything from there, but you don't, you also don't have to move anyone because you're not at that point. You're not trying to contend. It doesn't need to be about fit, it needs to be about exploration. I would like to see them maximize the talent of the guys there a little bit more. And so, if you're going to have any of these rookie bigs coming in, and even with Jalen Suggs there, uh, and for people who really want to believe that Mark Fultz is the answer, or even just like any of their guards, you want to have more space and better floor balance around them. And so, that might be why uh, they could gravitate towards Javari Smith as as well, but I I think that this is great for Orlando's rebuild, and they have a ton of, if it sounds like I'm sort of shitting all over what they have, I'm not. They feel at once like they have a ton of everything, but they don't necessarily have the centerpiece of something, except for Jalen Suggs, who I'm infinitely high on. Uh, I did crucify the Raptors for not taking him and going with Scotty Barnes. I was clearly wrong there, but Jalen Suggs is going to be really good. I think he's an all-star in the NBA. I just see it. With him. He's going to be someone who should be at least league average defensively for his position. When you get to a point where he doesn't necessarily have to be your only lead initiator or scorer, and I'm I'm not even saying he needs to be the number two, just someone else who can help him shoulder that burden and be efficient in the way that they're doing it. No offense to to Cole Anthony, who cooled off as the year went on there. They have, I think, one of those guys in Jalen Suggs. Now they're going to get just based off what people are saying of the top four players in this draft. They're going to get another one. That's absolutely huge for them. And I'm just very fascinated, curious to see what they do with the rest of this team moving forward, especially uh, more immediately because of the impact that this does have. Just looking at their their front core Maybe it's as simple as you let Mobamba walk and you leave the, the rest where it is because we don't know what Jonathan Isaac is at this point. We saw some dual big lineups with Wendell Carter Jr. in there this season as well. Uh, But, you know, if you want to play Jonathan Isaac, one of these rookie bigs, and Wendell Carter Jr. together, you're looking at maybe Franz Wagner at the two minutes. Hey, maybe you go super big like that. We've seen something similar work in Cleveland with vastly different talent. But yeah, Orlando getting the number one pick, absolutely huge. And they're just, their team to watch because of how many intriguing pieces they have, even if you don't view all of them as long-term keepers there. Oklahoma City coming in at number two, not falling out uh, of the top four of the draft is great for them. I think, you know, this has been, The other stuff here is if, if you're Oklahoma city, you're probably hoping that Orlando goes with Apollo or Jabari Smith, that you can get a Chet Holmgren, who just seems like the perfect fit uh, in Oklahoma city right now. And look, caveat being I am a little higher than shin deep into my draft research at this point. Um, So don't take my word for it, but this is just like, Everything that they need, someone with defensive player of the year ceiling in the middle. They don't have a true center there right now, or at least not a long term one. Mike Mike Muscala is a placeholder. Derek Favors, who just opted in to the final year of his contract, he is a placeholder. Uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl lo- was absolutely impressed with him. What he did for his rookie season, you don't necessarily want him soaking up as many reps at the five as he did. And so they get sort of a a true center in there. Seven one only. I think he's twenty years old. Um, who might be able to space the floor. Give me all the Poku and, and Chet Holmgren minutes. I do like that Oklahoma City didn't fall to like four be, or end up in fourth because I know that there would have been just a section on the internet saying, oh, well, they're going to have to take Jay and Ivy and they have Giddy and then the whole trade shake Gilgis-Alexander G- bullshit again would would crop up. Um, that's also why I like Holmgren there. With Giddy and Shake Gilgis-Alexander, they, uh, they need a big a player that they can play true pick-and-pop, pick-and-roll games with, and he gives both elements of that uh, and and combined with the room protection that he is going to be, the, combined with the room protection he's going to bring on the, the defensive side. That being said, if he's not there, and I just because I, if I'm going best player available, I really do think that Paolo is going to end up being the best player of these three long-term. Maybe it's more of a, he it feels like he has the lower floor of all of them if things don't pan out, but he is just a, a matchup like a monster a mismatch monster someone who's almost seven foot the way that he can handle the ball um, create his own shot I I don't know how you're gonna guard the fully finished product of of this of this kid uh, who's only 19 and sort of fits with the OKC ethos where they're gonna just get, you know skew younger So if Holmgren goes to Orlando I think Palo should be the answer for Oklahoma City there I could see the case for Jabari Smith, uh, and I think there are probably maybe people that think that he could, you know, his offensive skill set through the roof as well. I think Paulo's gonna wind up being the better finisher. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, I feel like Paolo has the chance to be more of a disruptor on the defensive end. Maybe that's wrong there, but uh Jabari Smith might be a little bit more versatile though, where I could see him guarding more positions. Uh it's. I don't know that you could act absolutely go wrong there, but they're going to keep this pick. I'm also really interested to see with the Thunder, what do they kind of do with that number twelve pick that's coming over by way of the Clippers? So we're still going in order here, but we might as well just tackle the the second lottery pick that they have. Uh, they could, you know, is that going to be a, a draft and stash spot for them? Just because they, you know, their roster of bodies it gets high pretty quickly, and so unless they're planning on making. Consolidation trades, waving some guys, dumping some guys. You're, you know, you can only bring, you're only going to have your, your, a certain, your 15 active players on the roster leading into the regular season. Will they go that route? Um, do they try to look that, uh, use that as a mechanism to move up or something or acquire a different pick? We've seen Sam Presti do that in the past where he's slipping a draft pick. There's like in the current year for, for a future draft pick for a team that really wants to get into the lottery. I don't know that they can do anything consequential with it. And you're at two, so you're not going to move up. If Orlando wants compensation, like say Oklahoma City wants Chet Holmgren or Paolo and, and Orlando is, or Jabari Smith, that's their guy. That's the highest guy on the draft board. It's 12, do I have a price to pay to jump up the one spot? I'd probably say no. I'd probably, if he's your guy, I think a lot of people are just going to view this as between these, even the four players, we're going to include Jaden Ivey there. They're not going to view it as this huge, discrepancy and so maybe it would be too high of a price to pay i don't see them using it in that way either and you do look at when you do get into the the cap mechanics of okc's sheet they can create extra roster spots to where they don't have to go you know it's not a problem that they're going to take in both of these these first round picks it's just a concern moving forward and if they are you know they're drafting guys uh to keep them and use them immediately Your it gets interesting looking at, okay, well, they're going to try and get rid of favors. Are they going to try and get rid of uh, what uh, Mike Muscala, who has a team option? He played well enough for them to pick it up, and they, they seem like they do want at least his veteran presence there. Uh, do they sort of sort-circuit the uh, developmental projects that they have? Is, are they out on Teo Ma- uh, Maladon at all after the Josh Giddy pick, having Shagulis Alexander, the emergence of Trey Mann? Do you maybe see what the market is for Darius Baisley, who closed the year? Pretty strong. Probably getting ahead of myself there, but that's a fascinating element for them this offseason because they have so many guys. There are a lot of non-guaranteed deals and team options on this team, so let me make that clear. But Kenrich Williams, you're guaranteed salaries. You're picking up Lou Dort's team option. Aaron Wiggins, yes, you absolutely should guarantee that salary based off how he played. And so Derek Favors has already opted in. You start running out of op- options there really quickly. I'm curious to see what the the roster maneuvering here looks like because of them having um, multiple picks in in the first round but they good that's going to be huge for the rebuild getting number two and either way they're going to have a big like a, a leading big prospect in there And i do think that's what they need and i'm not saying it needs to be this traditional plotter and that's because none of the three guys that we've mentioned are those types of players that's just a position they they have a need i don't even know that you can look at it and say oh well they have just long-term keepers on the wings. I'm not even ready to go that far on Josh Giddy. They have Shea Gilders-Alexander. Like, that like is their pole rebuilding prospect. If you view, view Josh Giddy in those terms, that's fine too. They're both perimeter players, guards in the backcourt. I don't know that they complement each other all that well when we we're going all the way down the line. They could stand to get higher-end wing play. That's no offense to Lou Dort or Kenrich Williams, but then definitely just on the front line at that five spot. The Houston Rockets, they should be a team that winds up with one of these three bigs as well, the leftover one, making it feel like it's a pretty easy decision. Maybe there will be clamoring for them to draft Jaden Ivy. I don't like the fit with Jalen Green. I just, I don't love it. I think he needs to play alongside someone who is going to be more in tune with playing off the ball so that he isn't the one that needs to be displaced Uh, or maybe someone who's going to be more pass first than score first. And because you want Jalen Green, I don't, I don't know where I'd land with Jalen Green as an elite initiator. What I saw from him over the second half of the season, after the Austin break, whatever you want to say, I can kind of envision it. Um, but you at least probably want a co-initiator, someone who's on the same level. I don't even know if Jaden Ivey is that guy. And if you are going to find that guy, you need him to be the floor general first. And I view Jaden Ivey as just like this offensive monopoly unto himself, which is great. If you're going to make him the central focus of everything you're doing, I don't know that the Houston Rockets should be doing that. Are you are you tilting too far towards drafting for fit when you should go with best player available? If you think Jaden Ivy is much better than whichever of the three bigs is one of the three bigs that's left in this spot, then yes, you can absolutely take him. But I look at Houston and I don't really see them having a solution up front long term either. We don't know Usman Grubba in profiles of five anyway. Uh, Alperin Shangun was fantastic. He's not someone. He again is not someone you plan around. The bar for this is super high. If you have a chance to take Jabari Smith, Paolo Banquero, uh, or Chet Holmgren, you won't have a chance to... If Chet Holgren drops below sec, uh, past second, I will be shocked. If you have the opportunity to get one of those guys, you take them and you can figure out the rest later because I don't think Shang Goon is someone who needs to shape your future to that extent. We just don't know the defensive ceiling of, of all three of these bigs is going to be higher than that of Shang Goon's right now. And he did move a lot better, especially laterally, in certain instances in the half court defensively than I thought. Uh, for the Rockets this year. He's also just, he's not a traditional shot creator in the sense of the table setter for everybody else. Yeah, he's going to be the best passer of these, of any, like, no matter which big that Houston could end up drafting. But he's not this, like, face up weapon, can put the ball on the floor, attack on the deck like that. Um, and you could potentially get that in Jabari Smith and Paolo. Uh, if Chet falls as far, I think he probably gives you a little bit more floor spacing. And all three of them are just going to give you more defense, uh, especially uh, Holmgren, of course. So I think this is another easy situation where you just take one of the three bigs that's not left on the board for Houston. Could they be a team that... Uh, could they be a team that wants to move up at the three spot? No, I'd probably just take what the what's left over there. I would also say it's interesting if they do go the big man route, you have Christian Wood floating around there now. He certainly becomes superfluous. What do you do with him? And I think everyone pegged him as a trade candidate in the first place. Them landing at number three sort of solidifies it for me that they're going to be looking pretty aggressively to move him, and it's look that's just good business. He's not super old, but he is entering the the final year of his contract. And he you're either unless he's going to sign an extension now to where you can keep at a reasonable rate, you're not going to be at the point where you can justify paying Christian Wood a bunch of money in 2023, 2024. And so I expect he and Eric Gordon to be pretty heavily shopped. Although I was I was pretty surprised that I, I thought Christian Wood would stay in Houston past the trade deadline. I really thought that. Eric Gordon was going to be dealt. And so look, you have a nice base here now, all of a sudden with Jalen green, whoever you're going to draft at the, at this third spot, um, you know, Shangoon is good. I'm really Josh Christopher, the confidence he has on offense is aspirational. And he really is just has like this gamer motor, a, a workaholic. And you still have these like unknown flyers in, I'm very high on Usman Ruba. I think he could be a defensive monster. If you get the chance to pair him with one of these other bigs up front, that's going to be something that could be super interesting. Assuming he gets real run. I'm not super high on Kevin Porter jr. I don't think he's lead guard material, but maybe as a microwave guy who can give you some tertiary playmaking off the bench, uh, he's going to be, he's extension eligible this summer, restricted free agent after next season. We could see what they do with him. Jay Sean Tate. Is he part of the plans long-term when he's entering his own contract here? Um, who knows? But even the Garrison Matthews, that's not a very team-friendly deal for them, they have a lot of players who are just good that they can keep. Um, don't it's I'm not a big fan of timelines, but it, it's not, they don't have, you know, like Garrison Matthews and a Jay Sean Tate, even a KJ Martin, if you don't view them as these sort of long-term keepers, they're not gonna screw you to the extent that they're adding unnecessary wins to your tally at this point. And we know how important next season is for Houston is the that's the final year that they don't owe there their first round draft pick. So, um, uh, so yes, there's that element of the rebuild. It feels like it's becoming, it's coming more into focus where now you have this top three pick plus Jalen green uh, less than two years after trading James Harden. That's a pretty good spot to be in. They're going to be ultra flexible moving forward, especially if they're, you know, you just look at their books, and I mean, as of right now, if we just assume that Eric Gordon isn't on this team in 2023, 2024, their highest-paid player is going to be Jalen Green at 9.9 million. They could obviously add money off of that. Uh, so, but that—that's just how flexible they're going to wind up being. I fully expect them. What I'm getting at is to just take the. The leftover big from the three top prospects. And then we should probably prepare ourselves for a Christian Wood trade. And then maybe they segue Shangun into a different type of role. Is it off the bench? Or is he someone that could become a trade candidate as next season moves forward? The Sacramento Kings at number four, they're an interesting proposition. I think the pick here, if you're going best player available, is Jaden Ivey. I can't, it's the Kings. Don't I if you want to talk yourself into Shaden Sharp, I can't the 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 mystery box i can't do it i just like not for the kings of all teams i just you can't talk me into it for them i don't love the fit with Jay ivy and De'Aaron fox especially now that you have some bonus there and and the offense is going to slow down to to some extent and that's just someone else who needs to have the ball in their hands uh i i i also don't know that jay ivy is good enough uh I don't know enough about him or to what you think his m b you know his 90th percentile NBA outcome is going to be to say, well, maybe this is when you start looking at Deion Fox trades. I do know if you have Jaden Ivey, Davion Mitchell, Andrea and Deion Fox on your team, that's going to constitute a logjam. I guess you can bring uh, Davion Mitchell off the bench, but playing Fox and Ivy together in your backcourt, that's a lot of speed. Jaden Ivey is super athletic. Um, I just don't know that I would love to see those two play together. Could Sacramento, uh, knowing what we know about Sacramento, it would be surprising if they did shop Darren Fox just because they have this pick. It would mean sort of pivoting into a rebuild, and they did pretty much the exact opposite by going after Bill Mastabonis, who represented them at the lottery. Talk about peak cultural integration there for them. That's The lottery is what the Kings are all about, and they wanted Sabonis to know that. I I respect it. Um, I think you just go with the best player available and figure it out later if perhaps one of the bigs falls here, in which case that makes your job a little bit easier, all of them could theoretically play with Sabonis, even though I don't love it. I would view this as though a, a pretty not, not likely, but this is where you, you look at the draft order, the way it took out and say, Oh, there, there might be a trade here because the Kings have decided just based off the Sabonis trade to me that there's more urgency here that they're interested in winning sooner rather than later. And so what, what and who can you get for the number four pick? I saw some people on Twitter floating around John Collins. I think it's probably too much to give up for John Collins, especially with Sabonis in place. Would you give up the number four pick for Rudy Gobert? I wouldn't, especially because Sabonis is already there as well. Um, I don't know what the trade market's going to look like. Are you going to give it up for a uh, Zach Levine sign and trade, Bradley Beale sign and trade? I'm probably not doing that either, to be honest with you. So I, I don't even know what that package would look like. Maybe it's also just a matter of trading down. Uh, does Detroit really want Jaden Ivey? That's only one spot, but can you get something? And then if you're the Kings, you're okay with drafting a, a Keegan Murray uh, or a, you know, maybe you're taking the the shade sharp there. I still wouldn't recommend it for, for Sacramento. I don't know, but that could be an instance. Or maybe there's another team that's outside of the lottery or just, you know, further away that really wants Jaden Ivy and you can get. More stuff out of them. You scroll through the lottery, and I can't see a team that's going to be like, "Let's go really effort." What if the King, what if the Knicks decide? That's someone who could be our point guard of the future. It's not quickly. It's definitely not Rose. It's not Kemba. Like Julius Randle as our our primary playmaker. That's just gone to shit. Is it them? And what can you extract out of them? Other picks, some of their young guys. Are you getting an IQ in that deal? Like I don't think you get an RJ Barrett. I don't even know that the Knicks would go that route. It seems very. The Knicks going to such lengths to get younger is not their ammo either. That would be the other option for the, the Kings, though. I do think you they're going to be a team that monitors sort of the trade market for this, whether it's an issue of trading down or just... Dust. Look, every year it feels like some player we haven't talked about becomes available who can make a huge difference. I fancy myself someone who's normally pretty good at spotting those players in advance. I can tell you right now, like I haven't found... You know the, that God does not exist for me at this moment, and like, is it? And, and even the ones that you could talk, you know, Pascal Siakam is not going to become available in Toronto. Is what is what I'm basically getting at. Uh, even if Fred Van, even if a Fred Van Fleet came available in Toronto, you're not going. That's that's just not that could be a fit with the Aaron Fox. But you're giving up the number four pick for that. The name that I did think about was OG Ananobi. Exactly what Sacramento needs. I don't know. Toronto probably has to include something else. In that deal, I also don't know that Toronto is going to want to go the Jay Ivey route. That's just another team where it's J Ivey 6'4", their whole 6'7", to 6'9", six, 6'10", six, model. That, that goes entirely against it. So while the OG Ananobi sort of idea, that's something, if I'm a Kings, that certainly piques my interest. Uh, I don't think that it's something that's really going to wet the whistle of Toronto I still look surprising things happen all the time it's also the Kings they're a wild card here I love you Kings fans but, but let's just call a spade a spade they're they're fucking roller coaster. uh turbulent violent painful vomit inducing at points too let's just they they do feel like the point where the draft night actually starts or where the the draft rumors are are going to begin number five the Pistons probably a disappointment for them to wind up here to miss out on all four of those prospects I don't know who they go with number five. Look, like we're getting outside of my depth here. I would probably go with Keegan Murray. I don't know if they're going to have the the impetus to to do that. Do they look at trading down? Do they look at swinging for the fences on Shaden Sharp? You're not at a point where you can get. Everyone wants them to get a different type of big. They could resign Marvin Bagley. They have Isaiah Stewart, but this isn't the spot where you're going to go and get that big. I think the next like highest rated big on the board is just I don't even know who it is. Is probably Jalen Duran. That's probably in, you're not taking him this high, um, is it a trade pick if you were gonna trade up like you like you said, if they really want Jay Navi what do they want to give up for him? if Houston was really married to just the big that it has in, in and maybe in Christian Wood, and you know let's let's say that they're not as high on the, the remaining big like that was the one who was at the bottom of their board. They don't want Jay Nevy for Jalen Green either. Could they look at moving down the two spots and take whoever they wish there, sure? Um, but I just don't see the real opportunity to move up unless you're going to do business with Sacramento, who I think is probably going to want more of an, you know, is Jeremy Grant, like, are you giving up Jeremy Grant to jump the one spot and get Jaden Niving? And there are other moving parts involved there as well. I don't, I don't know. I honestly, I just, I don't know. Um, but I, th- what I do think this, the impact that this has on Detroit is it opens up. I'm not trying to be that guy, but about 1.6 million in an additional cap space, maybe 1.5, however you want around there that's going to get them to like 28.3 28.4 million in cap space uh, assuming that they you know guarantee certain deals pick up certain uh, team options some player options get exercised they could very easily get to is what i'm getting at a max for deandre Ayton in restricted free agency his his first year max and this goes the same for miles bridges if you wanted to throw to both there is 30.5 million so they can get there fairly easily uh, maybe it would be a sign-and-trade anywhere, anyway. Base-year compensation gets really weird with that, though. Um, I won't go into detail with it just because I, I don't want to bore you with that, but just it's effectively hard in sign-and-trades, especially the ones, guys coming off their rookie deals, um, to make the salaries work because the salary, says the quick synopsis, it counts as a lesser number to the team that is signing um, the player as the, as their outgoing salary. But the incoming salary for the Pistons would still count as $30.5 million. That's what makes it tough to work. Not impossible, but again, if Phoenix doesn't want to match a max offer sheet for Aiton, the Pistons feel like the team that looms largest now because Orlando has cap space. Um, they're going to get one of those picks. They're just going to get that their choice from there. There was talk about Oklahoma City Oklahoma City, from Woj going after DeAndre Aiton. They technically could still do that, but they don't have cap space to begin with. That's why they were sort of fascinating. They have that dead money from Kemba Walker on the books. It's about 27.4. And so to build around that with Shea, Gilgis's, Shea Gilgis Alexander, I don't know why I can't say his name in this podcast, his $30.5 million salary is is kicking in. I don't like you could clear money, but to get to another 30.5 is just almost impossible. It'd have to be via sign and trade. And that gets really difficult. Are you willing to give up Shea Gilgis Alexander and a sign and trade for DeAndre? And absolutely not. Maybe you're willing to empty your pick cache, but Phoenix isn't necessarily going to be interested in that. I wouldn't think maybe Sarver is for the immediate financial savings, but they're not going to be in love with that deal when they're trying to optimize what's left of the Chris Paul window, which we can only assume is not that not not that long or going to be open. So, and then yeah, Houston was never going to be in that whatever so you have one team off the board that could go after him are the spurs gonna want eight maybe they're a team that could get to the cap space if they wanted to memphis is another team but they can only get to about a little under 20 million that's if they just get rid of key players it's not going to be them the pacers dropping down we haven't gotten to them yet so i'll try not to spoil that too much there that's really it though now so you've almost you've lost a deandre Aiton sooner maybe you've gained one in portland and indiana Uh, and I just, I don't view San Antonio as an eight and suitor. Perhaps I'm, perhaps I'm wrong. there. Spurs fans. You're free to correct me. I think that this, the way that the draft lottery played out really makes it more likely that we see the Pistons linked to Deandre Ayton. I know a lot of people like miles bridges there. I just, the athleticism around Cade, I get it. And then someone obviously like a local kid effectively, I totally understand the interest and he's someone who's diversified his offensive portfolio. I just don't necessarily love the fit, especially if you have to max him to get him out of Charlotte, who has every incentive to just pay him whatever after not dealing him. Uh, And I don't know which route they go with the actual pick. This is, I think they're the team that gets the biggest blow here when you're looking at that, because they are such, they could have used any of the four guys that are going to be ahead of that, that number five spot. I would go Keegan Murray personally. I don't think they're going to want to, I don't think they're just, they're not going to want to go that route, knowing the the bigger swings that the Pistons take. They feel like maybe they're a shade and sharp destination. The Pacers at number six—they're a team that's hurt by this as well. You were certain they were certainly hoping to um, be in the top four too. Uh, I don't know who they take here at all. There, do they are they a team? You know, are they a team that could think about trading this pick? If you're, you have Tyrese Halliburton, who's already really good now. You have Miles Turner. Could you bring back T.J. Warren? You have Brogdon. Chris Duarte was already a big part of the rotation as a rookie. Uh, I don't think they moved this pick. That would be such a big move. would be wildly out of character for them. And I know they did just tank and move the bonus in the first place. That just felt more of like a placeholder move. That being said, Mark Stein did report that they're probably going to trade Malcolm Brogdon. And so perhaps they're open to anything. The, the flip side of that would be if they're going to trade Brogdon, it's probably just to continue getting younger. And so why would you move the number six pick? But if you're interested in returning to the playoffs immediately and you're the pacers, that number six pick is a pretty big trade asset. To this point, I would, I would think it's more likely. There's a chance they don't do any of these things. But if you told me they're either going to move Miles Turner or the number six pick number six pick, I'm gonna say that they're moving the number six pick. I would keep it for them as well, just to add another youngster potential building block alongside Tyrese Halliburton and Chris Duarte at minimum. And you don't even need to move. Miles Turner, but the fact that this didn't end up in the top four um, in sort of a primary centerpiece spot, I I do think opens them to some more possibilities. They do need to shore up the wing rotation and that's something that they could do. I mean, whether it's Shane Sharp, whether it's Keegan Murray, um, whether it's, you know, Benedict Matherin, like they have, they have guys that they can go with here who can maybe be a part of their, their big picture hall and and help solidify just a ring rotation that is absent truer wings I would say that would be fair to say uh, maybe you just think that they're going to resign TJ Warren and he'll be absolutely fine but th- that's th- there are players that they could absolutely use here so I don't find them not that I don't find them very interesting I just they don't feel like a wild card to me it feels like they're going to take maybe the best perimeter player available in this spot I would I guess the thing that would surprise me a little bit they don't seem like a team that would swing on on Shane Sharp that's that's the one thing I would say. Maybe I'll be proven wrong there. So, Another team that's probably, you know, they fell. They were in position to get the number six pick. They ended up in number seven. Damian Lillard looked pissed or sad when it happened. The Portland Trailblazers. I don't know what they do here. I'm not even going to spend time. Going, like, yeah, they can draft some wings and guys who help with their defense, maybe. Uh, if they're looking for a center replacement, Jalen Duran here is, wouldn't be an egregious reach, I don't think. I think they look at moving this pick. I would look at them as a team that maybe is linked to Rudy Gobert. Should he hit the trade market? I know it does seem more likely that the Jazz are going to run it back. People are already saying Detroit's going to get the the seven pick for Jeremy Grant. That is an abject disaster. If the Blazers do that, Jeremy Grant headed in to a contract year. You're going to need to extend. You have to extend him at the four years and 112 million that he could command. Why else would you give up such a primo pick? and then what are you? Anthony Simons, Jeremy Grant, Yusuf Nurkic, Josh Hart, and Damian Lillard. It's a, it's an okay team with depth that's like some of it's intriguing, uh, the re- like, some of it's not. I mean, Justice Winslow had some nice moments for them, Cam Johnson looked super interesting. Nass Little when he's healthy has made some plays for them. Greg Brown the 3rd, I think as we're recording this is probably, you know, jumping through the roof of some building. I just don't know. It would feel like it would still feel like a regressive team compared to what they had last year or should have had if they never gotten injured or what they thought they had. And you jump through a lot of hoops to get there and just to not get that much better. Maybe the roster is a little bit more balanced in that sense. They probably need to hope that a, a different type of star becomes available. And again, like I said, it's really hard to pinpoint who that could be uh, just you know, going through all these different teams. You do have the number seven pick, though. They just feel like an inevitable Ruby Gobert team. The other thing they could look at is, Is this a pick? If the Pacers are really looking to do things over, there are probably mechanisms that you could use, especially because Portland has a huge trade exception that people build as the Jeremy Grant trade exception. Uh, Miles Turner, Malcolm Brogdon, like a sort of a mega deal here. Those are two players that would help uh, Portland. Malcolm Brogdon is sort of that third league guard. Or is it it just a matter of making a three-team trade where you are giving up number seven, but you're getting Jeremy Grant and Miles Turner back I, I don't know. But you would, if you're not going to go the consolidate super consolidation route of getting an actual star, but maybe attaching stuff to the number seven pick, I'd be curious if you offered the number seven pick for Rudy Gobert as the framework. I know other salaries would need to be involved. Would they do it? Just because of what we've seen in the playoffs. John Hollinger of The Athletic wrote about this, about how we're sort of veering towards space ball, where it's bigs who have the ability to just to stretch the floor and almost defend like wings. And so that neutralizes Rudy Gobert in a sense. It's not playing small. It's playing actually small. It's bigs that are able to play what we've deemed a smaller player's game. I'd be curious. Uh, would I give up the number seven pick if I'm Portland for Rudy Gobert? No, I think that they should be rebuilding based off how they acted this past season. And to not wind up with a first round pick in this year's draft after moving Norman Powell, Robert Covington, Larry Nance Jr., and CJ McCollum, that's a, that's a failure to me as well. Uh, I'm very interested to in see what Cronin does now that he's the permanent GM there, how he maneuvers about this roster. you know, We're only talking about a one-slot drop, but I think this pick was always going to be in play. I don't think that changes now. If anything, I just think it's more in play. I don't know if they're going to wind up settling, though, on what they're getting back. And I just want to be clear, I don't think Jeremy Grant is the player that should be your primary target, your only return, the the, the crown jewel of your return if you are giving up this pick. The New Orleans Pelicans, another trade candidate here, I think. I do kind of like the idea of uh them landing with Keegan Murray, and you have you have him. I don't know if he's gonna fall this far. My guess would be no, but having him and Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado on the same team and Trey the third, I favor. it. If not, him, maybe uh Benedict Matherin feels like that's a player who could really help them. Um, he would elevate their their three-point shooting and maybe gives you like a, a three and D archetype, someone who's has more, you know, he's not gonna put as much D in it but he's gonna actually have the the three ball a little bit more than a herb jones did so they are a team though that could absolutely trade this trade this pick they are looking at a team that just gave the phoenix suns hell in the first round of the playoffs i know phoenix was banged up hey the pelicans didn't have zion williamson they're getting him back next season like that's that's huge like you have cj mccollum brandon ingram jonas valanciunas Larry Nance Jr., Jackson Hayes came alive. You're going to get Kyra Lewis back. There was the Trey Murphy, the third emergence towards the end of the year. Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado. There's a lot of now talent on this team. And so can you use this pick plus other salary to improve? Uh, I think you can, and I, you should absolutely consider it. You're in a position to do some pretty funky things because you have these primary ball handlers in place, effectively, all of whom can play off. The, Zion Williams is probably the hardest player to play off the ball um, of Brandon McCollum, uh, Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum. Uh, at the same time, like you can use him as the ball screener if you want. And so all three of those guys can play off the ball. All three of them can sort of be the, the primary engine of your offense. That opens you up to do a lot of different things everywhere else with the rest of your rotation. I've received pushback by saying, I think Miles Turner is a better fit for this team than Jonas Valanciunas. In a vacuum, Jonas Valanciunas might be the better player. I think Miles Turner gives you more of... Of what you need, I think he's underrated as a def- like a mobile defender. Uh, he's an elite rim protector. He's gonna his three point volume is gonna supersede that of a Jonas Valanciunas and definitely a Jackson Hayes. I get the concerns as rebounding. It's not. I understand that it's not a no brainer. I'm also not using this pick to give up my like. It, I'm number eight for Miles Turner in a contract year. I'm not doing it in a vacuum, but the framework there is that something to consider. I also understand because you have Jonas Valanciunas even Jackson Hayes, and even Zion Williamson at the five units in your back pockets, you really want to expend such a big asset on, on a big man then. And so you would rather go, the, is there another sort of point of attack guy, uh, probably more preferably a bigger wing that'll space the floor and unlock some of these different lineups and, and help improve our shooting. Again, it's a situation where I don't know who the target should actually be. That's something we can like get into detail later. But is there a team that's thinking about a pivot, I mean, you immediately think of Utah and there's just, you know, I don't know that New Orleans shouldn't have any interest in Donovan Mitchell. It shouldn't have any interest in Rudy Gobert. That would be a, that would be a freaking wild fit. Uh, so you, you go through what could potentially be available to them and maybe it's just not worth, maybe you hang on to this pick and again, like I said, try and just bolster and augment your, your current perimeter rotation um, just because I, I feel like the trade market's going to be busier than normal but there could sort of be this like shortage of of stardom. And I don't know that is this a pick that you want to trade and parlay it into like two or three rotation players, depending on who you're giving up. Is it so valuable where it's the Devante Graham deal doesn't look all that hot now? So you're attaching him to something and with you know a Kyra Lewis, maybe, and you're you're getting someone the super intriguing back. Uh, I would just expect them to explore all sorts of avenues here. I know that even DeAndre Ayton's name is cropped up in circles. And if you were using number eight as the centerpiece in any sign and trade, no, I'm not doing it. And you have to go through too many hoops to create the cap space necessary. I wouldn't even think it's—it's it's really not that possible. You have Zion Williamson for thirteen point five. Then you know CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram combined are making about sixty-five million dollars. So you're in the seventies right there. You're gutting a big portion of your roster to get to his. 30.5 million max and that would just given the number of players you would have to move that's just so many hoops to jump through um and again i i i'm trying to rack my brain for maybe players i can trade for i don't hate Jeremy Grant in new orleans again the number 8 pick is so much to give up for him and that's where you get into this all right i could definitely see players being available even john collins maybe worth the number 8 pick but like is that someone you want playing alongside zion and then you you have Jonas Valanciunas already. That doesn't... Collins is probably close. He's a 1.5 position player. I don't think he's as one position as some of the other players we've seen come through the NBA at points. At the same time, that would be a hard fit. And he's one of the better players that I think you can envision teams trading over the offseason. So unless the Bucs are all of a sudden going to pivot and be like, hey, we're getting rid of Chris Middleton, which would just be just absurd on their part. and that's an opportunity like that arises... I don't know what there's going to be for New Orleans, but they're at a point where I think they can start taking some, some win now swings. And look, if, if Toronto was sitting there and they're willing to give up OG Ananobi with number eight, and they think there's like a wing in this area that, that fits their need and you can attach some other stuff here to get OG, that is the player, man, him, Herb and Jose Alvarado within the same rotation, that defense could be absurd. I get, you'd still probably worry about the floor spacing, but. And I'm, look, I'm not saying the Raptors should get rid of OG. There was some stagnancy, it felt like, when he was healthy on offense this year. And I think just having Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Fleet, even Gary Trent Jr. to a lesser extent, has sort of complicated his role there long term. Um, so I'm just going to th- continually throw his name in there uh, just because I'm, his future seems so muddied. I don't think, and I don't think New Orleans, now they have CJ McCollum, should or needs to be a Bradley Beal or, or Zach Levine destination if it gets to that point. And they definitely don't need to be, forget Miles Turner, Anthony Simons. Like if you're looking through any restricted free agents, including Ayton, that's not on the table. It'd probably be a smaller move, or maybe it's their moving back while picking up a player in the rotation of, of this draft. Uh, and shout out to the Lakers for giving the, the Pelicans this pick. Again, the Lakers won a championship. Pat Bev will point out the bubble championship, but you all know in this podcast, I think Pat Bev is insufferable at this point. The San Antonio Spurs. I'd be shocked if they traded this pick at number nine. I don't know who they're gonna draft. Are they an AJ Griffin team? Do they take uh is he still on the board? Do they go with a Benedict Matherin? Uh they have like this logjam of swingmen and, and wings though. Uh do they go big? Jalen Duran, if they don't know that Jakob Pertle is is long for them. He is entering the it's the final year of his contract, or is he have two left? has the final year of his contract at 9.4 million. Man, that dude making less than mid-level money is wild. Uh I, I think they just go you go best player available here. They're in a weird spot though, unless you view DeJounte Murray as best player on a contender material. And maybe you do. Uh is this a spot where they can even get that second best guy? Do you think that Devin Vassell or Josh Primo or Keldon Johnson's going to be that guy? I don't know. I would probably bet against a number two on a contender. Um, they're in this weird spot. I'm not telling them to blow it up, but they do kind of feel like they're ripe for. Do we go the consolidation route or is there more tearing down to do here? You get into the teardown discussion and it's like, well, you're starting to say some pretty reckless things here. Are you talking about Murray? Because McDermott, Richardson, even Pirtle, it doesn't count as tearing it down. And are you really selling this early on a Keldon Johnson or or a Devin Vassell? I expect the Spurs to probably just chug along here. Do they maybe take a bigger swing at the nine spot just because they have the flexibility to be okay and they're really in the market for... A blue chip building block, Um, and I I don't like nine is not the spot that you're typically going to get that at. What what conversations trade conversations would they try and wedge themselves into though? They do have. I think it's do they have three first round picks in this draft? Um, Just absolutely something up. So they have at least two. I couldn't remember if it was three or not. I'll check my notes as I'm going through this. Yeah, they have three. So they could do some consolidation. Like, are they a team that can move up? You like offer all three of those 25 20 and nine i don't i don't know how far you're going to move up which teams are going to entertain that offer but it's something that they could consider i would i just don't I, i think they're going to be rather uninteresting on draft night they they could be built for a consolidation trade they do have sort of the young talent plus the pick equity to get involved if a star becomes available i would absolutely love zach levine or bradley beal there if either one of them shows an inclination to leave their current team do the spurs get involved Maybe. Uh, other than that they'll probably either go with the best player available or the highest ceiling player available uh, 10 the Wizards another interesting team just because they're just they're a 10 what does this mean can they draft someone who's an instant fit alongside, Brad, alongside Bradley Beale? and yes this is a team that has to consider fit because they've decided they want to rebuild around Bradley Beale, that they're going to max them out and if they're not does that start trickling out around the draft and how does that change their approach uh, so I think you probably need to go, they need another guard in there. I don't think this is the spot to get it, to get him, excuse me. Um, So you probably, I would just default to, they have wings available in heavier supply, but I would just default to wings again, whether that's going to be AJ Griffin. Is it going to be, again, a Benedict Matherin, uh, a Jeremy Sockin? Like, it's just, I would go with one of those players uh, or even a Dyson Daniels. And you do have Kuzma, Entering a contract year, Contavius cobalt non-guaranteed salary. I would expect him to pick it up. He's entering a contract year. You have Denny Abia. You have Rui Hachimura. We don't really know what he is, but he's entering a contract year. He's extension eligible right now. Um, there could be guys that are on the way out, or if you wish to make sort of a consolidation trade. We saw him take a big swing with Kristaps Porzingis. Um, I think that's the route you go, if you're watching. this. just draft the wing, uh, figure out the rest later. They tend to be plug-and-play anyway. You do need another creator on this team outside of Bradley Beal. I do not think that creator is on uh, in the rotation right now. If you think it's Kyle Kuzma versus contabius Caldwell Pope, I mean, bless you. And it, look, it's not Christos Porzingis. Like we don't need to see Christos Porzingis create a ton for himself. As the third or fourth like level creator, if you need to throw the ball to him there, fine. I trust his face-up game probably more than I do his his post-up game. Um, but the Wizards, if you are committed to Continuing with Bradley Beal, I think that the move here is to just draft someone who can play right away and is going to be a fit. And I think you just do that on the wings because that seems like the smartest bet given the current functional landscape in the NBA. The Knicks at number eleven—they're probably go. They're gonna, they are sh- they are going to trade this pick. I don't even know who they draft. Is it a wing? It's going to be a wing or a big here. Uh, their their big man rotation is just all sorts of weird. Mitchell Robinson entering free agency. New Orleans Noel. Not a long, long-term long answer. He's entering what's technically the final year of his deal because there's a team option on season number three. Uh, do you view Jericho Sims as this this answer at the five? Obi Toppin is not a five. Julius Randle's not a five. They don't like to play either of them at the five. I wouldn't use this pick on a Jalen Duran, and maybe Charlotte hopes that as well. This just feels like inevitable. They're going to move this pick for fucking... I don't even know. Like, Terrence Ross. I think it was more... Um, from the NBA podcast told me on on Twitter with it. I don't I don't know who they would actually move this pick for, but it feels like th- that will very much be in play. I don't know if they're going to be a team that can go star hunting. If you find out that Zach Levine or Bradley Beal wants to come to your team, I've been pretty pro that I think the Knicks should really take a step back, reset, offload a ton of these veterans, beginning first and foremost with Julius Randle and Evan Fournier, and go from there just because those are the two guys that have guaranteed money extending beyond next season on their deals. The Knicks don't think like that. And maybe some player becomes available where it makes sense to throw all your eggs in the basket. I don't view Donovan Mitchell as that player. I want to make that clear. Damian Lillard is that player. I think he's probably too old to treat him like that player. And that makes the Knicks, Knicks fascinating. Are you willing to move number 11 independently or with only a few other pieces as part of a trade for a non-star? A ton of it probably depends on who who's available. Uh, number 11 for Jeremy Grant, if that's the framework you're you're looking at, That's something that's at least, I think you can talk yourself into considering. I don't think you're going to love it with the idea of having to pay Jeremy Grant and it feels like sort of an an aimless move. He at least does fit some of the stuff that they need, which is they they need more defense on this team. Maybe, look, Quentin Grimes, Deuce McBride, they give you hustle there. Um, RJ Barrett got a lot better in year two. I'd say he's mostly lateral in year three. He was overtaxed there. Maybe Cam Reddish is something. But I feel like the Knicks are going to, prioritize more proven performers because that's what they've always done. And whatever big name ambles onto the market, they're invariably going to be linked to. I expect this pick just to be tossed around a bunch. If I had to pick a position or area of me that I think they're gonna focus on, they're probably steering clear of a guard. I would I'm gonna bet on a wing. I'm gonna bet on a wing. I could see them going with a big uh in, in and in Jalen Duran, but I aside from that, like you, Mark Williams, maybe, who knows. I'm going to guess that they go with a, a two or a three, someone that they can sort of pair with RJ Barrett on the perimeter and, and will be more of a defensive specialist than not. After number 11, we have OKC at 12. We already did them. Charlotte, they should probably draft a big, uh, or this is a pick that I would expect to be involved in trade talks as well. They remain a Miles Turner team destination if he is going to be traded. Uh, you have number 13, you have number 15 as well. So they can move both of those after the draft. Technically, the step rule is it matters. But I want to make that clear. But like when you have picks coming this year that you can't technically trade right now, you can still just move them after the fact as actual salaries. Um, so are they going to be a Mark Williams team? Are they going to be a Jalen Duran team? I I don't know. They have Kai Jones sitting here. Maybe they believe in him. And so you don't want to draft a big. I'm not saying you plan around having Mason Plumlee resigning Montrez Harrell, but it does start to get... If you draft another big, so I guess you don't believe that Kai Jones is the answer, um, which is fine if you're going to make that admittance. It could get a little wonky. Though. If, if you're just drafting here, I would think you need to be sure that that center can play for you right away. Otherwise, I'd like to see them go wing here because their wing rotation is just Kelly Oubre Jr. is a wing. I guess you would call them, like, Miles Bridges isn't a wing. P.G. Washington is not a wing. We don't know what James Knight is. He feels like more of a swingman, though, when you watch his game, games. So Cody Martin and Kelly O'Brien Jr., like those are your wings. There's Gordon Hayward, too. He doesn't seem like he's long for this team. It'd be classic Knicks to give up the number 11 pick in a, in a Gordon Hayward trade, by the way. But anyway, I digress. Uh, can you use this to get a big, though? So if Rudy Gobert is available, maybe Clint Capella will be available in Atlanta. Uh, if Onyeka Kongu is available in Atlanta, that's someone I'd be looking at. If shit, if John Collins is available... I'm probably not looking at that if I'm keeping Miles Bridges, but Clint Capella, Onyeko Rudy Gobert, and Miles Turner, like those are the bigger name bigs that I think we can all envision hitting the the market. I don't the Vooch becomes available in Chicago. That's just a you steer clear of that if you're Charlotte. Does Charlotte get involved in the DeAndre and They don't have cap space, but it would have to be a sign and trade that gets really finicky. I don't know that. Like, why is Phoenix going to want Gordon? Like, let's just use the. You have to figure out the math on this later, but Gordon Hayward and the number eight, uh, excuse me, the number 13 pick. eh, Like just eh for that. Uh, This feels like more of a miles Turner situation. Like number 13 and 15 feels like great framework to like between 13, 15, James book Kai Jones. It just, and salary filler. It just feels, and even PJ Washington, like it just feels like that would be the move that Charlotte should be the most likely miles Turner destination. If he is, available uh, otherwise will they draft a big i think they should draft a wing and there seems like there's going to be plenty of wings still available in this spot anyway so to me if if i'm them you might as well go that route uh this wouldn't be something i'm curious about and i wouldn't give up the pick for this and maybe he's not a good enough rebounder maybe you don't want him playing in a on a team that's looking to run but he's playing on a team that likes to run now A Brook Lopez, like just if Milwaukee's sort of looking at their books, they have to re-sign Pat Connaughton, they've just seen what sort of happened, and they'd rather beef up the four spot, knowing that uh, the Giannis is sort of the biggest player on the court, or the Giannis as the de facto five, de facto big, whatever you want to call it, is the future for them. Is that a name you look at? If it's not not costing you this pick, I was just, as sort of another stopgap, maybe you're, you're drafting a big here and then you're just going to go get Brolo as sort of a more fitting stopgap. Someone you could throw the ball to in the post. He's gotten away from his three-point volume, but he could still shoot it. Knows how to hang around the dunker spot. I any he, look, he's still a pretty good defender. I don't think he's going to anchor anything, but he'd be a he'd be an upgrade over Mason Plumley. Just random food for thought. I'm not saying Hornets fans, please, I just want to make this clear. Uh I'm not saying that he should be like this team's primary target, like as a as a trade target heading into the off season. Um, I if you want to sign someone, there's Mitchell Robinson, Nick Claxton are sort of staring you right in the face there. Wendell Carter Jr. would be interesting if Orlando decides that they want to move on from him. Or maybe you look at signing Mo Bamba. If Jonathan Isaac was healthy, I know he doesn't play a ton of five, but that dude, pair him with Miles Bridges. You have a lot of athleticism there. And I think Isaac could do a fine job defending the five. Might really have something. The other name, of course, here be look at it. Rashawn Holmes. He's okay on defense. I think he's probably underrated for his mobility and his rim protection. Uh, would I give up number thirteen? No. Number fifteen? Maybe. Maybe. Can we get Justin Holiday as part of that deal or something, or just something else from Sacramento, uh, or maybe even not? Rashawn Holmes is still one of the most underrated. He's still one of the most underrated players in the league. He's on a really good contract. If you're a team, I would do number fifteen for him and. Yeah, I, I think as like the, the primary framework there, I would absolutely consider if you need to extract something else, someone else, you could try. As like Justin Justin Holiday's fine. What are you giving up as part of this? I mean, look, the Kings could use a Gordon Hayward. Uh, but is Gordon Hayward in fifteen for Rashawn? And you can't like you can't make the math work here is impossible for Sacramento. They're like a team that doesn't have cap space, but it like it doesn't have meaningful cap space, but they technically have cap space depending on how they use their books. So are you giving up Terry Rozier in that deal? Um, I wouldn't give up Kelly Oubre Jr. in 15. That feels like a lot for Rashawn Holmes. I'm not going to lie because if Oubre might be, especially with Cody Martin, Martin hitting restricted free agency, he could be your best wing defender. But Rashawn Holmes would just be a name to keep an eye on there. Of course, if the Spurs were th- thinking about giving up Jakob Purtle and they're like really trying to hit reset there, that's absolutely something that you could look at. And I already mentioned Rigo Bear. The final team, the Cleveland Cavaliers who were pretty good this year relative to expectations, definitely relative to all the injuries that they suffered. They just need they need a wing, uh, preferably one who can shoot. And if it gives you secondary shot creation, that's great. But they need like an actual wing who's an offensive upgrade, I think, over Isaac Okoro. They won't be a defensive upgrade over Isaac Okoro. They could almost... I know a lot of people, I think, have built, at least of what I've seen from the Twitters, to the build them is maybe a good Johnny Davis team. So that's something to maybe maybe consider there. I don't know if like... I don't know how much credence you can give to that. They could also look at moving this pick because of the timeline that they've sort of slingshot themselves into since Darius Garland and Jared Allen are so good since Evan Mobley's already transcended on defense. You have Karis Levert. What are you doing with Colin Sexton entering restricted free agency? You have a on this team. There was the Kevin Love resurgence. Does that make Larry Market expendable already? You could do some really interesting things. Again, I don't know what wings are available here, This is a team, though, that could maybe talk themselves into going after Jeremy Grant. Really lean into the defense of it all. Um, Salary plus number 14 in a Jeremy Grant-style trade. I don't think Detroit is going to have interest in a Colin Sexton sign-and-trade. I'd be a little bit floored there. Would you do Okoro and 14 for Jeremy Grant? It's a great question. I'm just going to throw it here to the room at large. It feels sort of like a tad rich, maybe because of the mystery box appeal of um, the number 14 pick. But Jeremy Grant, I think it's important to note, is a pretty massive upgrade offensively over Isaac Okoro. The, you do just, you have to get into, and there needs to be other money here. I want to make that clear, involved. But you do have to think about paying him. I don't know. That's just a name that's brings to mind here for me. If you're going to keep the pick, though, draft a draft a wing. Hope that he can sort of upgrade your half-court offense specifically. Uh, you are entering weird times where Karis LeVert's extension eligible, Colin Sexton, restricted free agent. What if you lose one or both of them over the next two years? And even if you keep one, even if you keep both, there's no guarantee that, like, just because I don't think those three players fit on the floor perfectly, you could certainly try it against certain teams. I'm probably not trying it in high doses, especially because, you know, they've skewed big. Like, that's the model that worked really well with Evan Mobley and, and Jared Allen. Um, I I just wouldn't expect to see a lot of those three guard-type units, and, and Karis LeVert isn't wingy enough for me to classify him as one. I would go with a wing that you hope can kind of, even if you're taking sort of just a swing here, that can help your shooting. Does he need to put the ball on the floor? I mean, he doesn't even need to be a creator, just someone who's going to upgrade your shooting, and functional shooting is always better. Maybe he can help you out with your rebounding, because they had some really weird rebounding uh just stretches with this team for a a team that did have Jared Allen and and Evan Mobley. So uh, that might also be why uh, there are those that love Johnny Davis for the Cavs, because I do know based on the scouting reports that he's, that I've read, he's supposed to be a really good rebounder. I don't know what the Cavs like could do beyond that though. You're, you're, you're with the number 14 pick and you have the incentive to maybe do some weird things there, but you need the right players to become available. And this is the issue we've continuously run into is like you, the players that are available, the ones that you want, they either don't exist, they're not coming on the market, or you're not giving up number fourteen to get like Marcus Morris Senior. That's just not something that you're you're going to do. So, like, how out is Atlanta on DeAndre Hunter? Is there something there, and can teams get involved here? And does Atlanta even care about getting a pick? Because now, if DeAndre Hunter's on the table, there's like every team should just be like looking like in the you know. The Spurs at number nine. Like, is there, maybe that's too much to give up for him, but like the Pelicans looking at DeAndre Hunter. Maybe not. He really flailed this year. So I, I don't know. I would expect the Cavs, though, to do their due diligence in shopping this pick just because they are on, I, it doesn't need to be a win now timeline, but you've paid Jared Allen. You're good enough to hang around the playoff rockets in the East already. I think you continue down that path. And if you don't, repeating myself here, take a wing and see if you can integrate him in, into the rotation, um, give him minutes off the bench next year. And that's also the luxury of having so many bona fide NBA players in place right now is that whoever you draft can come along more slowly. They don't need to be baptized by fire. Maybe it's sort of a Trey Murphy III situation in New Orleans where he didn't see the court consistently for so long, came on and boom, it just clicked for him, um, getting that those practice reps under his belt. So that's the luxury of what Cleveland has right now. Even if they're not a playoff team, you can make progress and have a worse record next year. Uh, progress is not linear. The Eastern Conference could be more terrifying next season if you look at who's healthy, who's going for it, or the Knicks better, or the Wizards better, or the Pacers a lot better. Um, there are a lot of different things that the Cavs could do. I don't think there's a wrong answer here unless they go just settle for a lower quality player in a trade. That'll do it for me. I hope you enjoyed this. We'll be getting into more playoff talk. Um, as these the conference finals go down, we did... Throw up our preview. So if this is Wednesday morning, you're listening to this, you haven't seen Game One of Mavs Warriors yet. Go check that out with Weech Reports, Grant Hughes. We'll get into the, those games a little bit more. I will say my Game One takeaways for the Boston Celtics: they should play fucking better in the third quarter. Everything just from turnovers, not boxing out, throwing these lazy ass passes. Um, really came back to bite them. I, Jimmy Butler outscored them 17 to 14 in the third quarter by himself. Um, They let Miami get in transition way too frequently. And I'm talking even after makes of the few makes that they had um, to lose that quarter 39 to 14 to win the other three. Okay, great. Atta boys. But you need to tighten things up there because the heat, they're not a team that you can just willy nilly dribble around or throw these. I I don't even know that they are telegraphed passes, but they felt like pointless passes. And when you have the, you know, the heat perimeter defenders playing so far up, um, you have to be just more meticulous with the ball and shout out to just the heat's depth um virgil depot giving them some good defensive minutes max struce was fantastic gabe vincent had some really big plays for them this is a team i thought was too shallow we talked about this in the preseason look ahead mentioned a little bit at the beginning of the season and then after that it just was never mentioned again because they are clearly deep enough they have admirable depth um, boston things should get easier if you get al horford and and marcus smart back by game 3 they'll certainly be able to help you on the defensive side um I don't know if Marcus Smart will help you limit your turnovers there more at all. Al Horford certainly will. But just going from the Aaron Neesmith minutes to Marcus Smart minutes, and then from the Daniel Tice minutes to the Al Horford minutes, those will be a natural, organic bump. I thought Robert Williams III, though, before he um, he got hurt later in the game, I don't think it was anything serious. It was a cramp or something. I actually haven't seen an update on that. Uh, I thought he played pretty well. So the Celtics are not out of this, but they need to play smarter. You can't afford to have these just you know meltdowns uh, against teams as good as good as the Heat. That'll do it for me though. Again, if this is your first time listening, I'm not always solo. I just sprinkle these in to get some extra podcasts out there so that you guys have content. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. All the, the handles are in the description. Follow us on YouTube. That link is in the description as well. YouTube.com. Search Hardware Nox. will come up. Join our Discord, most importantly. And the link to that is in the description as well. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Download episodes. Help us retweet promos. Get the word out that this podcast for National NBA Podcast is pleasantly sub insufferable I would say like can I at least give us that much thank you all who stuck with me for listening until next time leave the shout out to the one the only the legend who is single-handedly saving NBA ratings because he's playing deep into the playoffs into the conference finals Frank Neal